The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle, from the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback. There's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. Welcome to episode 69 of Comic Book Nation, the official podcast of comicbook.com. I am your host, Kofi Outlaw, and with me for this 69th event is... My co-host, Matthew Aguilar. What up? And our original Comic Book Nation Trinity member, Brandon Davis is back on the couch, and he's all smiles today. Episode 69, nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 69 episodes. It feels like 69, plus another 100, but, you know, that's neither nor here nor there. Wow. Today, we are going to be talking about quite a lot of exciting things. There are some big shakeups in the Star Wars universe I think we probably should address, we are also going to be talking about what's going on in the Marvel TV universe. Some bad things happen there as well. And we will be diving deep into the latest chapter of Jonathan Hickman's X-Men reinvention, Powers of X number five, and reviewing the most anticipated new series of the season so far, of the TV season so far, Stumptown, starring uh, Maria Hill herself, Kobe Smulders. That's uh, the most anticipated series of the season? Yeah, I mean, it was probably, like, one of the best newly reviewed shows that we've had, and uh, a lot of places were calling it the best new show I mean, it's good. Season, we'll talk. Including comicbook.com, so... I just didn't know there was that much hype for this show. Yeah, I know. Uh, well, if you read comicbook.com, we have all this stuff on there, but... you What's gotta that? You gotta read comicbook.com. Never heard of it. Anyway, Indeed. moving right along. First things first, I thought we'd jump into the Star Wars universe, because uh, we got a big piece of news last night which is that Marvel's guru, the man who made the Marvel Cinematic Universe happen, Mr. Kevin Feige, is going to be making the move over to the Star Wars universe, which is really not that big of a move. It's all under Disney's house. But uh, this was a big deal, and, we, and he's going to be overseeing a Star Wars movie, which I don't think anybody saw coming. Anybody here see that coming? Uh, I thought everybody saw that coming. I didn't. But mostly because, like, he's busy. Like, I don't know. Like, I, I mean, like, on the internet for the past few years, everybody's been like, when's Kevin Feige going to do Star Wars? And even though he said no, people were still like, well, when's Kevin Feige going to do Star Wars? Oh, yeah. I never uh, I never thought it was like, I mean, the internet Yeah, that's the internet wants a lot the of things. The internet says a lot of things. Patton Oswalt like, has said he wanted a lot of things. But, like, yeah, there's a difference between, like, the internet saying something and then something actually happening. And this is something that has now actually happened. It's been announced. And uh, Kevin Feige's going to develop a Star Wars movie. We don't know what it is. We know we're getting a new era of Star Wars coming up after The Rise of Skywalker finishes out the sequel trilogy this fall. But then the door is kind of wide open. We know uh, Ryan Johnson's been working on a new trilogy. We know 
the Game of Thrones showrunners are working on a new trilogy, and that will be the first new thing that we visit after this Skywalker, Rise of Skywalker sequel trilogy kind of ends. So it'll be interesting to see that uh, kind of where Kevin Feige ends up and what kind of role he begins to play at Lucasfilm. Because you got to imagine, this isn't just... I mean, what we hear is that he's developing a Star Wars film, but you got to imagine, like, it doesn't end there, right? Like, at this point, you think Disney is looking at Kevin Feige as a much bigger type of executive and kind of shepherding some of these brands. And it, it seems just a little serendipitous that, you know, after Star Wars has had these kind of problems early on in its Disney launch, and you have, like, CEO Bob Iger kind of pulling back and saying, hey, you know, we made some mistakes early on, but we've learned, we're cleaning this all up, and, like, we're going to be doing things differently going forward. Like I said, it seems kind of serendipitous to have all of a sudden the announcement that, oh, we're putting Kevin Feige in this franchise, but he's just doing this one movie, right? It seems like this would probably grow into a bigger role within Lucasfilm slash Disney for Feige to basically be the guy who can really string these properties together and make them into cinematic juggernauts. That's just my speculation, but uh, it seems to fit with what we're seeing here. How about you guys? I mean, I think it, yes, do I think it, that could happen? Sure, I'm not ready to, like, jump the light speed ahead and go, like, yeah, he's, I've seen he's overseeing, like, he's overseeing Star Wars, and is he going to leave Marvel and, like, all this other stuff? I'm like, well, just pump the brakes. Like, let's, we don't even know what developing a movie means as far as like how involved he is, what his role in that. It could be a lot of things. So I'm like, could that happen? Yes, absolutely it could. But do I see Marvel, you know, yes, I know they're all under the same umbrella, but you know, Marvel still kind of has a vested interest in putting Marvel first before other things underneath the Disney umbrella. I don't necessarily see them going, yeah, sure, let's loan him out to Star Wars and let that become a priority. I think at the very least he becomes a producer on a lot of movies going forward. Like I, th I don't think it's a one-time thing. I mean, but in, but not in like a heavily involved role. He'll probably just be like a consultant giving notes and yeah. giving ideas. I mean, he did that with the Amazing Spider-Man franchise back like, when An Andrew Garfield was Spider-Man. He knows the, the Star Wars stuff. He's a big fan. That's why I think he does Marvel so well because he's a big fan. So I think that they're just going to pull from his brain a little bit, and that doesn't hurt anybody. Kathleen Kennedy, according to a top source at Disney... <laughs> Uh, in the first report, is still in charge, and I don't think that's going to change. I don't think you dethrone Kathleen Kennedy for Kevin Feige because he can't do both. He didn't have time for Spider-Man. Yeah. How right? can he oversee the two biggest franchises in the world? But I do agree with you. Although I think, I think he had time for Spider-Man. If I think you've that was got this resource, why not yeah, use, use it? Yeah, I totally well, get it. this that. one was also a passion project. He had an idea that he was very passionate about. He pitched to them, and they were like, yeah. So yeah. this is a passion project. We always say these things, but uh, we always talk about this creative space without the financial realities to go with it, which is if Kevin Feige produces a Star Wars movie that has a much bigger, better reception than most Star Wars movies that have come along mm -hmm. before that, you know, then the dump trucks of money come out mm -hmm. and then things change. So, like, where do you gauge that? Uh, I'm just curious because I'm in the camp of I really enjoyed The Force Awakens. I didn't enjoy anything else that came out except the last scene of Rogue One. So, but then there's other people who aren't like me who loved all of it except for maybe Solo. That's the most common camp I see. Um, <laughs> and Richard is in the Richard control in the room. Booth, <laughs> it's he all good. All of but so, where do you gauge that? Does it have to? What level of success does Feige's movie have to have, either critically or financially or both, 
for you to say, well, maybe I mean, we should use it for everything. The billion dollars is always now the mark. Um, I think it's the billion dollars plus less divisive splits between fans. Um, a Star Wars movie that can, there is no, I don't believe in a Star Wars movie that will unify everybody, but I do think you can score one that will bring fans together in opinion more so than what we got necessarily with the sequel trilogy or in Disney's first phase of rollouts with Rogue One, Solo, mm -hmm. and the sequel trilogy. So, I mean, I think that's highly possible. And making things that are kind of universally crowd-pleasing is Kevin Feige's specialty. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the success that you would need to see happen there uh, before the dump trucks of money inevitably come out. But, all right, Maybe sounds like... Maybe he'll get another one up to $2 billion. I mean, I mean, that's a good thing, but that has to be a one hell of a Star Wars event film. You know oh, I mean? sure. No, I know. I agree. So we'll leave it there because this is still taking shape until we know more about like what Kevin Feige's planning yeah. and what Star Wars films are coming down the pike. Uh, we'll have more to say on that. Uh, I don't think we have to worry about him leaving the MCU anytime soon. I think Matt is right about that. Let's not jump the gun. Uh, in other Star Wars news, while we're still here, um, it's funny that Kevin Feige is coming in <laughs> as uh, the beef has been unleashed. This was spicy. Yeah, it was beef <laughs> in the Star Wars universe between the old and the new masters. So George Lucas and Bob Iger kind of had a little war of words earlier this week or over the weekend. I forget where we are right now. So don't ask me about time or space. But they had a war of world words where George Lucas basically came out, crapped on the Force Awakens, and Bob Iger shot back and clapped back with, uh, Honey's just too bitter because we didn't use any of his ideas for this. Oh. And, uh, yeah. That's disrespect. <laughs> yeah, and it's funny to see because I remember when Disney purchased Lucasfilm, like, you know, years back. And then during that whole transition, there was this very kind of, like, sugary veneer of mm -hmm. everybody, and especially Disney side, like, praising George Lucas and his vision and everybody while Lucas was trying to make sure he got his billions by saying Disney it's good in good hands like I'm so excited to see where the franchise goes from here yeah. and to excited to watch it as a fan and now here we are but it makes sense why at the time he did that yeah one because how, how much was some stupid amount of money? Yeah, stupid amount of billions that he was trying yeah. to get in his pocket. But it also makes sense because, you know, when you read the Iger quote in the memoir, right, that he wrote about that, at the time, they, Lucas was under the mistaken impression that they would use his story. Yeah. Like, it's, just all out, authentic. For just background like, for Star yeah. Wars light people, like, Lucas always had a nine-film vision for Star Wars. Yeah. So he had a saga already planned out. He started in the middle, but he knew the prequels early on and he knew the sequels, if only in like story sketch form. Yeah. So he always had this plan. Suffice to say, Disney has diverted from that plan. And they bought those plans. Yeah. Release the Lucas cut. They, because like they bought the three scripts. Yeah. And then we're like, but then Iger makes a very clear point numerous times in the thing of like, you know, yes, he says, like, maybe we could have, like, handled the meetings themselves better. But he says numerous times in there that, like, we always told him, like, look, we we might take ideas, but we are not. This is not a promise to make these movies. And then the meeting where they pitched it, not even pitched it because they don't have to pitch it to him. But the meetings that they were like, here's what we're doing with J.J. in the room. And then he was evidently felt betrayed and mad after that. 
is surreal. Like that's that whole thing is crazy. But you know, I mean, I mean it's George Lucas. It's and it's the classic mistake of somebody giving up their creative baby uh, to a big corporate overlord and thinking it's all going to work out and and be wholesome for them, and only to find out corporate. Corporate masters might have some different ideas. I and, mean, he can wipe the tears away with the billions of dollars. Yes. And to I don't be really fair, feel bad. Yeah, I mean, and to be fair, it was <laughs> yeah, also he after like, he had like, vision of speaking of somebody who's been down this path and didn't get the billions. Yeah, <laughs> you're okay. You got the money. So, and it was after he had already executed his vision <laughs> unedited in yeah. the prequels, yep. and we saw how those were received. There was a mixed yeah. reaction, you know. But so. they had cool lightsaber fights. They had cool, like, he even talks about some of the ideas that, like, he had for these, and you can look at it and go, I'm kind of glad they didn't do that. Yeah, exactly. Like, so, <laughs> I'm kind of glad they didn't. But did. it was just funny. It's funny to see, you know, people who are trade, like, just sleeping on billions of Star Wars money getting into these, like, little catty fights. Yeah. You didn't use my idea. F your idea. Like, <laughs> I love it. Like, I feel like the whole country's just becoming, like, one big talk show. Like, we're all becoming the Maury show. It's great. But, uh, I mean, in the end, who cares what George Lucas thinks? Where this train has left the station, like, we're well past the George Lucas years. I'm sure you can make a bunch of fan videos saying if George had made the sequel trilogy, uh, and those will keep you entertained for a while. So, uh, keep you busy with that while we move on. Finally, last but not least, we got a new Star Wars attraction coming to uh, the Star Wars Galaxy Edge area of the Disney theme parks. It's called Rise of the Resistance. We don't know much about it yet. They just announced it today. But, uh, basically, it looks like you will be kind of a walkthrough... They say it's like a 3D or 360 immersive total experience of putting you in the position of a resistance fighter, helping to fight the First Order. Um, and it looks like one of those kind of like crazy rides, almost like the Back to the Future ride. It used yeah. to be at a Universal Studios or something. But that's just my early impression from the video that's on Good Morning America, in which you can find on comicbook.com Star Wars. Uh, but yeah, so Galaxy's Edge continues to expand. And uh, before you know it, by 2023 or so, Disney's going to look a lot like Star Wars and Marvel all over the place. Um, which is going to be fun for me. I'll be going back to those parks then. I was going to say, I've yet to make it to, like, you know, Galaxy's Edge or and see a lot of the new stuff that has appeared over the last year, two years. So, like, I'm excited because, like, by the time I get there, this place will look awesome. Yeah, I mean, by the time I get there, my kids will be, like, piping. Galaxy's like, Edge right is so cool. Age. See, ah, can't wait. It is yeah. so cool. You yeah. walk in and, like, you're in Star Wars. Now. Yeah, man, it, it is, looks really, I mean, it looks not, really like, cool. There's not, like, much to do. I like how do. they're fitting in this resistance thing to the area that they built and how they're kind of putting the attractions into that world that they've built and it's really cool so um yeah i'm looking forward to going there uh taking my kids you know losing a good amount of paychecks on that vacation so all right moving right along to the uh sort of marvel universe we'll call it the quasi marvel universe uh sony has announced a new spider-man spin-off movie and if you were hoping for like <laughs> venom another kind of like venom spin-off or Black Cat or Silver Sable or even Cardiac, well, you're SOL in this case because you're getting none of those. <laughs> and instead, we're getting the movie we all knew was coming down the pike, Madam Web. Hey! Yeah. Hey Madam. Yeah, Madam. Madam Web. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I mean, talk about random things Sony is pulling out. I just feel like Sony's at the point where Warner Brothers was like four years ago, like at Comic-Con when they flashed oh, every logo stuff, yeah. and every movie was in development and everybody had it like... But I don't think so because I think Sony's actually going to make these movies. I don't know. I don't no, know No, I think more... I mean, Morbius is already... I mean, what do you mean you don't know? Like, what don't sure, you know? Morbius, is Venom 2 not getting made? Where's, where's Black Cat and Silver Sable? 
Yeah, Black Hat and Silver Sable, that was part of the Amazing Spider-Man, like, era. Yeah, that one's No, like, of, a year ago, they, there was a report that they were developing that movie. There was a, it was yeah. a carryover, and then that was and the one, one that made it through. That was actually the one I was looking and forward to And it's not most, completely but. gone. Silver and yeah. Black? That's not and completely black. gone yet. Did you really like that premise? Yeah. I, I do one, feel... That's one title. Yeah. It's not That's just the one that came to mind. I'm pretty sure they've, they've said there's more plans that... I just, I don't know if I'm going to see all of them. Narrator. They did not. But... <laughs> the point is, this is Madam Web. Who is Madam Web? Well, Madam Web is several people in the Marvel Universe, uh, and I think it's important to note like what we could get here. One of them is the old lady Cassandra Webb, who is an old lady who has a neuromuscular disease that basically kind of Stephen Hawkins her, and she has to be in a life support system that looks like a giant web because that's convenient for everybody medically. Um, but she has these intense psychic powers. She is telepathic. She has clairvoyance and she has precognition. So basically she can read minds, see situations far away from her and see into the future. I.E. she is the best plot device ever yeah. for a comic. That's why she's always yeah. in the middle of every event. <laughs> yeah. She's the seer, basically. Yeah. Um, so it's hard to imagine, like when I was writing this up, it's hard to imagine a movie being constructed over an old woman who can see things. Uh... You know, you'd have to add to that. So what do you add to that? Well, there is one storyline with Madam Web that seems the most rich for a movie, which is that, uh, Je or what's her name, Julia Carpenter, uh, the second Spider-Woman. After a certain event, Madam Web is killed, the old one, and she passes her powers on to Julia Carpenter, who kind of sheds her Spider-Woman in arcane guises of a superhero and becomes the new Madam Web. Yeah. Now that is something I could see as a spinoff. Um, about somebody who is an old, experienced mystic, has to gets taken out, has to pass her powers on to this younger, completely inexperienced person who has to try to deal with the sudden knowledge that comes with these powers. Like, that is a premise for a movie. Uh, the thing that's weird about this, besides the, the kind Everything. of obscurity of Madam <laughs> Web, is that in doing this, like, Sony is essentially taking the step to kind of put its own Spider-Man universe on its own feet, but yeah. they're risky, risky feet. Because Madam Web plugs into this whole mythos of Spider-Man that's been created, like, mostly, and really kind of delved into over the last 10 years or so, yeah. about the great web yeah. that exists between realities, the spider deity that created, the fact that every Spider-Man in Spider-themed character is like an avatar for this deity and stuff. Like, once you get into all of that, like, you are, I mean, you're making a Spider-Man universe. But as I said in the article, this sounds like something that would be much better suited for the Spider-Verse animated universe yes. than a live action. Because that's movie. how, that's, I mean, Spider-Verse did a very good job of cutting all that out and going, here's this, here's this interlinked, Universe, here's your Spider-Verse. Yeah. But in the comics... And it made it like acceptable for a movie-going audience, yeah. which yeah. you think is very smart, based on previous conversations we've had on the podcast. Yeah, because it's, I just they think, cut out a, a... No, I mean, you think the movie-going audience is very smart. I do think they are. <laughs> I don't think the comics do a very good job no, at times with that. Right. Well, well, right. It's convoluted yeah. as hell. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, by this the point, it's I don't expect Spider-Verse did a great job of making it all yeah, I don't understandable expect in one... 
Yeah, in one movie. Because I'm not blaming a reader for not understanding a convoluted oh, well, right, history right, right, of crap. Right. Like yeah. <laughs> the spider, like there are parts of that I love, like Ezekiel and, and some of the totem stuff and Moreland. Like there's some really interesting concepts in that web, no pun intended, <laughs> of stories, but it's a mess. I mean, it, it's when and especially it, when you get the other involved and like yeah. you, you throw a bunch of stuff in. I'm not expecting any comic or movie fan to understand that. I thought Spider-Verse went, okay, here's the cool part about that. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to leave all this other stuff. We're just not going to acknowledge yeah. that happened. It's just the multiverse. They're yeah. Spider-Man. They're connected because they're the same person in different yeah. realities. The done. <laughs> yeah. That's it. Done. Um, so like a Madam Web movie in the, in the Spider-Verse animated like, universe, I would be like, yeah, that's, that's brilliant. Yeah. Like that's a person who has access and can see a bunch of stuff to a larger Spider-Verse. Pulling this off in live action is going to be... Uh, interesting to say the least and now i will give bd i will throw you to this if there is one movie in sony's lineup i would predict to possibly not make it this would be that movie well narrator chiming back in from earlier based on facts um according to your friends at screen rant um movies sony movies sony promised but i don't expect to see the sinister six night watch black cat silk Venom 2, that one's happening. Silver Sable, I don't expect it. Jackpot, Craven the Hunter, Morbius is happening, and maybe oh, Spider-Man 3. The so they've announced, they've been trying to make a lot of movies, and we're seeing two of them. Now, to be 10. fair, like three of those. Yeah, those are all for, like, a lot of those are from in the Sinister Spider-Man. Six era when yeah. they were, it was still, like, right only, around okay, Amazing so, But I think Silver and Black Craven I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying, to be fair. Yeah. yeah. Craven the Hunter. Right, my point was just that they've, promised a lot of movies along the way and the plans keep shifting so i think just because you they're spent shopping a lot of this, time looking that up was it well, was it was a payoff everything you were hoping i was just waiting to get to it I but i think the my point is that they have these ideas and just because they're developing a movie doesn't mean we're going to see it so madam webb maybe they just think it's an idea and they're shopping around and trying to get people attached to see if the movie will work and we may never see it if, if somebody's like oh this might not work yet at least yeah. so that's brandon davis answering my question where i said i think he might be right and in this movie might not make it so I don't, I, don't, I don't have a ton of faith in this, only because of the things we mentioned before. Yeah. Of like, this is very tricky. This is a weird character to build as a solo thing. Uh, I feel would feel better if they had announced another movie and they went, oh, Madam Web's going to be a part of it. Like, yeah, that opens some interesting opportunities. But right. as a solo, I don't have a ton of faith that this makes the jump. I think at some point it'll be like, hey, we'll, we'll spin it a different way. But we'll see. Maybe they'll turn me around. I don't think they will. <laughs> Moving right along. This microphone Other strange me. news in comic book programming. Uh, we were so excited because Marvel TV was continuing uh, to build with a Hulu universe that was going to be kind of a supernatural theme, darker theme, side of the Marvel universe, uh, or the Marvel kind of cinematic or TV universe. Basically, we were getting a Ghost Rider series on Hulu uh, with Gabriel Luna's Robbie Reyes and a Hellstrom TV series on Hulu. Uh, with the Hellstrom siblings. Well, one of those is dead, no pun intended, and uh, it's Ghost Rider. The Ghost Rider series for Hulu has been canceled before it ever began. It seems like Gabriel Luna's future in the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe is kind of kaput. Uh, it looks like his Ghost Rider will just be an Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. creation, uh, and we'll move on to something else. Now, this has led, of course, it is sad for people like myself who really wanted to see this particular version of a Ghost Rider TV series. 
But there might be a silver lining here, which uh, a lot of people instantly predicted as soon as they heard this news. Brandon Davis, would you like to tell people what the silver lining might be? For the fact that uh, Ghost Rider was probably drafted by the MCU? Is that that is correct. Lining? In your popular tweet, you said uh, that this is probably a sign that Ghost Rider is drafted to the MCU, and it seems like there could be some merit to that. After all, uh, Moon Knight. Yeah, we have Moon Knight coming up. We have Blade on the horizon. I mean, we have all the makings of a darker kind of supernatural-themed corner of the Marvel Cinematic Universe proper taking shape. Um, and, it, and it's not at all outside, and we don't know this for sure yet, but it's not outside the, the realm of possibility at all that, yeah, they decided, I want Ghost Rider. Yeah. And they're going to bring him back. I mean, and also, I mean, I saw a lot of reactions that people were very upset about this. The people, I mean, I enjoy Gabriel Luna in the part as well. I haven't, I'm not a, I haven't watched all of Agents of Shield, but what I did watch, I thought he was great. Um, but they said at Comic Con, they straight up said Doctor Strange and the Madness into in the Multiverse of Madness is going to be scary. And then Kevin Feige was quickly like, and it's going to be rated PG-13, just so that people could stop that <laughs> conversation before it started. But I mean, maybe they're going to start diving into actually dark content in proper MCU because I know Netflix and Hulu have not I mean I guess they're you could call them MCU but I don't because they're they're not really connected we all know Marvel TV and Marvel Studios yeah. operate differently the stories operate differently they make nods to one well TV makes nods to movies really that's movies don't really make nods to TV anymore uh, but I think that maybe with Disney Plus and all I mean we're getting how many Marvel titles per year if you if you count movies and TV shows they have to vary in tone. I think maybe they start making some actually dark stuff, especially on Disney Plus. Yeah. And if Ghost Rider comes to the MCU in in Disney Plus series or movie form, you have to you have to. They're making Blade. There's no way Blade is going to be a feel good movie. Yeah, they're making Blade. They're making Moon Knight. Moon Knight could be very like. Yeah. Th this it's just weird to me that I did not expect this one to be the one that fell through. I expected Hellstrom. Well, I mean, <laughs> I thought uh, that yeah, would, it I seems mean, uh, like yeah. in the comics they've backed off the Robbie Reyes character and are going back towards like the '90s Dan Ketch, Johnny Blaze, that whole mythos. I mean, he's he's an Avenger right now. Who, Robbie Reyes? Yeah, I've kept up all I've read. I mean, they've now they have dipped. The comics have dipped into like Ketch's like part of a storyline right now. Uh, some of the other Ghost Riders are, but. They they see. keep pushing him as like he's an Avenger, he is the Ghost Rider, and so that part is like it would make sense. He's the most he's the easiest to translate for me from Probably a grounded Reyes. from a grounded material. Like the MCU likes to take like a grounded yeah. approach to characters. Robbie is the m easiest to translate. I think if you're doing a movie, you don't have to pick and choose. I think you, they'll take on the whole thing. Oh no, I'm just yeah. saying like he's made oh, you want for a an MCU Ghost thing. Rider movie. But I think they'll take on the whole mythos and and the demonic background yeah. to it all like yeah. that that'd be no pun again we're, we're full of freaking yeah, puns today but uh, it would be the perfect vehicle for like getting the demonic side to into a more grounded combining the grounded mcu in like i a, just think a demonic brother, thing like, i think yeah. the the dynamic between him and his brother and the family element yeah. there it's just more it's no, I agree. served right up on an MCU i mean planet. it was created in the time where yeah. <laughs> knowledge of Marvel being mass media yeah. was there. And so, like, I agree, and I, that's why I wanted to see it. But in uh, the Latin culture stuff also, like, I wanted to see. I mean, it's like Sam, what well, we talk about Sam Alexander all the time, right? Yeah. Like, that was made for an MCU yeah. thing. Yeah, if, it, if the character came out between, like, 2012 and 2016, 
Yeah, it's like, I'm pretty sure they were just made for movies. I do find it funny that they they might have just killed Hellstrom in the comics, but <laughs> as this like as the as Hulu was like, oh Jeff that Lope. one's that one's good, that one's good to go, and then Blade stabs him in a book this week. But Jeff you know, Lope hey, must just wake up every morning and be like, is this character still there? Please. <laughs> Yeah, they do kind of seem on life support. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, when we come back, we are going to deep dive into our review of the new TV series, Stumptown, and we are going to discuss Marvel's powers of X number five, so be sure to stay tuned for that. Drowning in status updates and lost in endless emails? Break free with ClickUp.com, the one app to replace them all. Imagine a world where your team collaborates effortlessly in one shared space. No more chaos, just ClickUp. Your projects, tasks, and communication unified at last. Transform how you work with customizable views, seamless integration, and real-time updates. ClickUp is your shortcut to more productive days and happier teams. Join the millions of productive teams already streamlining their workflow. Visit ClickUp.com to get started. All right. So, let's talk Stumptown. Uh, Stumptown was called one of the best new shows. It got some of the best critical reviews of the new season of shows, including comicbook.com, going out and saying it's uh, the best new show of the season. Well, then you know it's true. Yeah, I mean, Boom. yeah. From the proud people of all our reviews and assertions about TV shows, comics, and movies. Um, That's right. But, uh, yeah, we all watched Stumptown, and just a quick overview. I mean, I know Matt really liked it, because uh, I watched him watch it in real time. <laughs> and I actually really liked it, and I don't necessarily even like cop procedural shows. I, I'm so burned out on those, and medical procedural shows. I, I kind of hate both of them, mm. but I think what made Stumptown different for me is first and foremost, the performance from Kobe Smalders, um, who is so good when you're kind of Robin Sparkles, when you take it back to the Robin Sparkles, How I Met Your Mother, but she hasn't really gotten to like shine or be as personable in a lot of movie roles. Certainly not as Maria Hill in the yeah, MCU. So dry. Uh, very dry, drab character. But Stumptown really reminds you that Kobe Smulders has a lot of charisma, like, mm -hmm. and is and she's pitch perfect as a very kind of troubled person who uses sarcasm and humor uh, as a as a very effective cover for her deeper vulnerabilities and problems, um, and has some pretty funny action scenes in this. And the whole vibe of the show is just kind of offbeat in the right way. It feels uh, Stumptown is also like I mean, if you don't know, it's a nickname for Portland, Oregon, and. It feels very Portland and yeah. Portlandia-ish in the way, and it's kind of hipster offbeatness, but laid up on top of a cop procedural's bones. And so there are a lot of funny things that you see in every show, but were uniquely kind of just distinct and funny here, like the opening sequence with her in a car chase thing with two guys. Um, yeah, that it all was good. And so I thought it was a really good pilot, uh, and I'd be willing to tune in at least for you know, the f next few episodes just to see if it finds its rhythm. Uh, I would worry about it burning out if there isn't some kind of larger serialized. I never read the comic that it's based on, so I don't know. Yeah. But uh, if there is not a larger serialized story to kind of pull you into some kind of intrigue uh, than when we got in the pilot. But uh, yeah, good entertaining show, good entertaining pilot. And Kobe Smulders looks like she has found a good place to be. Yeah, it has a, uh, you know, I, I saw this a lot on Twitter, like, you know, people comparing it to Jessica Jones in a in a big way, but like, I mean, that's and that's a compliment. Jessica Jones is fantastic, especially like the first, the first two seasons. Yeah. I think the first two seasons are really strong. The third one, I agree, like that one kind of went off the rails, but the first two, I, I felt were really good. But one of the things I always had a Jessica Jessica Jones like is so 
and it's just the portrayal of the character is it's like so in your face with like her like her personality is there's no like um there's not a lot of uh, spots to breathe for mm. the character. Like the character doesn't break that up. It's like when Jessica Jones is on screen, like that's it, her personality is right here all the time. It doesn't really go down or up. And and right. that's great because you have a supporting cast that can balance that out. Here, you know, Smolders is a like there's there's a lot of rounded edges to that character. So like even when she goes into some dark places or like has some memories about things in the past or deals with even some like heavy subjects, she has enough just natural charisma and like breaks in humor or a sarcastic comment at the right time that just takes a little bit of that edge off and lets that character breathe. Like, yeah, it almost just, like just spots of humor and how yeah. like, she's a little bit silly. Yeah. Like, but like still like, and capable exactly yeah. Yeah. one of my yeah. favorite scenes in the show is like she's trying to get information uh about a from a from a about the a potential phone? lead from the phone <laughs> from a girl and she's like asking her to contact something the girl like completely shuts her down as being a hard ass like you're not a cop i'm not helping you whatever so she leaves and drives off and so then as soon as she's gone the girl like whips out her phone and tries to contact the person she's looking for and she comes like running up from the back That's of the, the house where she's like obviously spun around the block <laughs> come running out of the car and just grabs the phone out of the girl's hand and it's just yeah. like yeah there you yeah. go i just like, love the blatantness of it too yeah. because she doesn't even try and be quiet like she's just booking it like yeah. <laughs> just hoping that the yeah. person and doesn't like and then said, she steals the car later in the episode yes, yeah that's great kobe smolders like really sells these moments yeah. like when she comes just running out grabbing the phone like aha like yeah and it has a like there's a there's a vintage like Rockford vibe to yeah. this show, like the stuff in between. You know, the characters are, you know, yes, you go in the sequences and you're like, okay, I'm gonna meet the best friend or I'm gonna meet the, you know, the family part. But there's always like a little like it, it's done very organically. It mm -hmm. those care those interactions feel just just the right. Like it never goes into like sap or formulate territory. No. There's always just a little something different. I hope for Michael Ely that this is like a big yeah, because show that I lasts. love him in everything, and he's call. always in the show that dies, like six, you know, six episodes, and it. Got, I hope this is it because yeah. he's great, and they have great chemistry so far. So yeah, I really I was happy this. to see Nick Miller on TV again. Yeah, Jake Johnson. Uh, yeah. I mean, he and he holds down a lot of the most important parts because he has like the kind of ability to bring like wit and humor to heavy parts, mm -hmm. and so like this episode does have heavy parts when it's dealing with uh, Kobe Smulders' characters, uh, kind of. Um, PTSD, her name's Dex, and her PTSD, because she yeah. served in the military uh, in the Afghan war and what that's all about, and him kind of keeping it real and keeping it grounded with her as her friend uh, is very good, and yeah. they do a good job of creating chemistry without the will they, won't they, romantic yes. stuff, which is blessedly gone, except for one thing when he sees Michael Ely in the beginning, and there's like this little man-on-man -man kind of like, yeah. but other than that, like, yeah. He walks the line of being like a good, almost like brotherly mentor or confidant to her, and uh, and he keeps it funny while keeping it serious. And the stuff so. with her brother, I thought yeah. was really good. Like there was, yeah, it was. I really enjoyed this. Like I, and I even like the bit parts, like me. the two crooks arguing about yes. the coffee in the car, like <laughs> such a Portland type ding. And like, the cassette tape gag yeah. that runs throughout, like yeah, her car's broken and her radio starts randomly and yeah. like, starts playing this cassette. And like, those yeah. songs all just for whatever reason tie into the moment. Like I thought, okay, really that's gonna be a running like gag. Ironic tone for. The, yeah, it's great. So I enjoyed yeah. it. Yeah, so Stumptown, yeah, pretty good. Uh, score one for comic book uh, adaptations, uh, pretty good. It made me want to go. I never read the book either, and it made me actually want to go back and, like, read I might it. go yeah. read the book now. because yeah. Greg Rucka. Yeah. So, all right. So we got 
that's good. We're off to an okay start with this TV season. We've done some things for American Horror Story, Stumptown. Hopefully it stays this good. Uh, you know, yeah. Also, South Park came back last night and it was also hilarious <laughs> with Mexican Joker. Man, oof, we did a thing about that. It's up on the site now. But uh, let's move on from TV to comics. Marvel's Powers of X number five hit stands. And uh, we're coming to the end of this. It feels like just yesterday that we started this whole Jonathan Hickman X-Men reinvention event. But now we only got one issue left of each book, House of X and Powers of X. That's makes it. Sad. Makes it me makes sad. me sad, too. But then, I mean... To be fair, then we have a whole lot to do because we have a Se- bunch of new X Men. Yeah. There's like six seven or, or seven six books. new X Men books coming Oof. that we'll be reading for the next year. But uh, while it's all contained right now, um, Powers of X, and I'm going to be out here and say, like, Powers of X has it, it started out as my favorite book of the two, but it's quickly slid into the back of the pack. Um, I love House House of X both for the artwork, yeah, and just the more focused storyline it tells. But uh, Powers of X, as you know by now, functions to kind of reframe the events of House of X after each issue of House of X to give you an expanded view of why all these events are relevant, how they came about, and suggestions of where they could be going in the future. So after House of X 5 showed us how the X-Men have invented this resurrection process, um, established Krakoa as a sovereign sovereign world like Mm. nation, invite all the mutants, including the good, the bad, and everybody in between to come live there, Uh, all those game-changing events, we get to see the background of how Xavier pulled this off with Magneto and other people in Powers of X-5, which is a lot of what this book is concerned concerned with, basically. How he used Emma Frost and the Hellfire Club to basically kind of leverage the the flowers Krakoa produces and the drugs made from it. Um, as leverage against the human population to give Krakoa their sovereignty as an independent mutant nation. Uh, All those geopolitics um, we get to see. We get to learn how Cerebro can copy a mutant mind and how Charles Xavier came up with this whole crazy process with Forge way back in the day. Uh, Forge gets to make an appearance. 70s Forge. If a character could, like, speak from the book and go, thank you, you know Forge is, like, would just, like, send a personal gift basket. I've been down here in limbo too long. (laughs) No one knows how to use me, and you finally come along, and, like, same thing for Cypher and, like, Gold Balls. Like, all these characters just, like, would adore, I imagine, Hickman just come out. Because, yeah, Forge has a great... You gotta imagine Forge is like Hickman's wet dream, though. It's like a oh yeah, a biological guy with unlimited knowledge of how to you know literally forge technology. That's like that's like Hickman's hero right and the, there. And the knowing like little, I love the stuff between Xavier and Forge. Not only just for what Forge ends up doing, but also just like framing McCoy. Yeah, and and like Beast, you know. and the difference between Beast and Forge yeah. and their levels of intellect and stuff. And then, it's great. Yeah, it was great. Um. So then we get all that background, and it is all interesting background about, and we get to see Xavier putting out the telepathic call to all the mutants and the villains and saying, come live on Krakoa when we establish this thing, and them kind of considering it. And we get one great scene with Marvel's original mutant because he makes sure to ask all the mutants, and so he went and appears telepathically to Namor, and Namor shuts him down in, like, one of my favorite scenes of this series. I love the, the, the little aside scenes are just so good in this yeah. series where they just kind of visit and we have these little like more traditional comic book scenes with just yeah. random characters like Sabretooth in a courtroom yeah. on trial or Xavier meeting with Namor under the sea to kind of discuss him coming to Krakoa. And Namor's too arrogant and he kind of breaks Xavier down, which is the best and kind of most telling thing, which he suggests that like 
Charles Xavier's full of bullshit and all the, this kind of benevolent come to Krakoa, let's all be one people stuff is, is kind of a smokescreen, Namor yeah. suggests. And he kind of suggests that he's probably the one person smart enough to see through it. Not because he has a high intellect, but because he's always been arrogant enough to never believe in human yeah. racism uh, towards mutants, that they're lesser than humans or stuff. He's like, you, what do I look like? The guy who's had trouble like having <laughs> yeah. confidence? Like, get out of here. He's like, and he says, get out of here, little man, and come back when you actually believe So it. what is the end game for these books? Like, Ooh, what? We don't know like, yet, what? but... Uh, like, what do you mean by end game? Like, like, like where are they can seeking? it go? Where do you think it can go? Well, this go? is, I mean, the only destination is to set up a beginning, really. Right. So, like, it doesn't actually have to go anywhere. It just has to... Like just like a, a new story. Uh, it's it's yeah. like a reboot for the X Men, but not a reboot. Yeah, yeah. Hickman yeah, has sure. been has been essentially going through and finding just about every unfinished, yeah. undeveloped idea, or stupid idea. Yeah, like, or ones. It's that basically like DC's Rebirth was. Yes, DC's Rebirth right. was taking okay. all of the past mythos, putting it through like a strainer, and saying. Here's all the crap. We're going to strain out yeah. all the good stuff. And when we get it out, it's going to be a much tighter, like, little fiber log here. And he's done that. And that's he's what he's done with X-Men. Like, yeah. yeah. He's just taken everything, like, all the weird deaths, all the dangling storylines, all the continuity mistakes. And he's figured out a way to say, either explain them or rearrange them into something more exciting for the yeah. future. Um, and so, like, yeah. So the next two books like are basically, uh, House of X will just be establishing the new setup of Krakoa. Here's Krakoa. It's an independent mutant nation, and all the mutants are now living here, but it's not as simple as it looks. Yeah. Things are going to, they're going to still be challenges, problems, things uh, in the kind of geopolitics of it, I'm sure, and just within the mutant community itself. So that'll be House of X. And then Powers of X, I suspect the last book, will show us a larger framing that ends in a cliffhanger that shows us, oh, there's more to this story yeah. that the, that the X-Men books are going to have to deal with. Yeah. Um, some big threat, some big mission, some big cliff, you know, big reveal yeah. uh, we'll get at the end. That who, can, who can be a villain in the stories going forward? <coughs> Xavier. You think, you think they're going to flip it that way? Um, I mean, it's hard to say because, well, there's so many villains already established. Right now, we have threats from the demon world that are mm -hmm. lurking in the wings. There's a whole thing that we could get in Inferno Part 2, yeah. like with the return of the Goblin Queen. Um, there's a threat we haven't even talked about, but there's a whole storyline in the future with the phalanx mm -hmm. consuming now, you know, the entire, we got, we got too like we, our plan worked yeah, and it worked too well. So in the future, they were trying to find a way to <laughs> convert themselves from biological entities into, Machines, you know, cause they've, basically. yeah, cause they've yeah. come as far as they can with technology. So they want to become merge bio and technological in the form of the phalanx. And they thought they could somehow kind of cheat their way into, like, joining the phalanx but retaining sentience or something. Yeah. Uh, phalanx is like, no. They're yeah. like, oh, by the way, we will let you join us. You made it. But what we didn't tell you is we're Brainiac, basically. Yeah, we are like, going to absorb your yeah, entire we, planet. and We want the knowledge. <laughs> yeah. And then we just destroy everything else. Yeah. And so now that's a big threat facing the future. Um, yeah, and what this all means, we, we have to see. Because there are still... So many questions that we don't have revealed. I made a list of 10 things, and I think we've only gone through, like, six of them. There are four big ones, like, still mm -hmm. lurking out there, like, where's Moira during House of X? Yeah. What the hell happened during her sixth timeline? When is this timeline in the future happening, and why are they trying to do this thing with the phalanx, and what's it going to mean for the present day? Like, all of these things are still unclear, but there are definitely things that could be set up as the conflict for the 
X-Men books to come. And you talk about a villain. I mean, one, I think one of the biggest villains that comes out of this most likely is Sinister because yeah. Sinister has, they have played, Hickman has laid that foundation numerous times of yep. he's the one that is like knows, has the greater idea of what's happening and yeah. has been actively plotting. And playing everybody who thinks they're playing. Yeah, right? and yeah. so I think that like, I mean, coming out of here, I think he will be one of the biggest cards in that area i also think just as we go on because when we come out of here the mutant like the mutant mutant kind will be the dominant species and i think you're still going to while they're all united under a yes we're all mutants type of thing you're still going to have your different like ideologies of right. like what is the best way so like apocalypse is just it. like ah, oh, we're chill now no, I mean, there's a whole council that's coming yeah, up right, right. of Krakoa, and, uh, you know, there are some hints that we've seen that's not gonna the last. council is, and, yeah, there's going to be lots of different fights. Yeah, yeah. Fights, betrayal, secret missions, things the X-Men have done for years. <laughs> and I think we're going to see a lot more political leanings in yeah. that case. Like, it's going to be more like, you know, something in the Senate or something in that, you know, the House of Representatives, right, of this vying for control, who feels like they have the best intent and who has the best idea for how this state should run. I think we're yeah. going to see a lot more of that stuff other than the, oh, hey, Juggernaut's running down a, trying to rob a bank. Basically, yeah. Marvel's going to try to figure out the 2020 election before uh, the Democratic <laughs> Party can, uh, you know, yeah. and so that's what we're working against. And, uh, you know, meanwhile, we'll have our Trump-style Orcus out there. Um, this book got me super excited for, uh, I mean, one, I'm a giant Emma Frost fan, so... Yeah. That whole thing of like bringing her in, what she wants, her role in this was super interesting to me. And like, yeah, Hickman just gets her right, like yeah. him and, and Scott Summers too. But it made me so excited for Marauders because that is what like Marauders is just going to be really about the, Hell the Hellfire Club, yeah. Kitty Pride being a part of the Hellfire Club because they've been teasing like this red thing, right? Uh, like a puzzle piece on there, and it's red, and it's her with Lockheed. Like that, her and Emma have always bashed because they've always had different ideas and then once you throw sebastian shaw in there and all the stuff of like how they maintain them teaching school trying to teach school to oh. used to be hilarious oh yeah that was great Shadow so Cat, i can Frost, yeah. that has shot because of this issue primarily that has shot to like one yeah of that's gonna problems. be really intriguing like what sebastian shaw's plotting like all three of them plotting again like working together but plotting <laughs> against each other yeah is gonna be great um just the kitty pride pairing with Emma Frost is going to be great. The Emma Frost history with Sebastian Shaw is going to be great. Yeah, there's so and, many cool And I feel like they're going to do a re cool reinvention of Sebastian Shaw. Um, that's going to be cool. Uh, yeah, in the future, I'm excited to see, because Orcus is still around. Mm -hmm. Mother Mold is still a threat. Just because they knocked it out once doesn't mean it's never going to be built. Exactly. In fact, the book says it will be built. Uh, you just hope it's built under better circumstances or different circumstances. So, yeah, the threat of Orcus, Nimrod, Mother Mold, all, the Sentinels, all that stuff is still on the table. There's still a possible war in the future that we could see. Um, sinister in the breeding experiments. We might still see Chimera, things like that. Um, yeah, all of that could be there. And if Sinister had any kind of knowledge brought to him about what he did on yeah. Mars in the future, in that timeline, like, yeah, then I would love to see characters like Rasputin, you know, emerge in present day. Yeah. Like, as these Chimeras that they've been developing. So... Yeah, um, from the covers we've seen as solicits, there's a lot of exciting things coming down the pike. Stuff that just has us already scratching our heads like, what? Like, and so yeah. I think this is going to be a good relaunch. And I, like we said before, I think this will go down as one of the uh, milestone X-Men storylines uh, just for what they've done. So, yeah, man, we're coming to the end. 
If you guys, I mean, if you're still listening to this right now and you haven't read these things, go out and start getting these books. Oh, absolutely. Question, just a quick question because I'm curious. Uh, better than New X Men or no? Like, do you need to see it stick the landing first? Yeah, okay. I, I, yeah. Let me see it stick the landing. Don't let me, don't let me uh, talk too. They could always Game of Thrones it. Like right now, because I, New X Men, I mean, got really crazy. I mean, yeah, like, I have that hard back volume yeah. of New X Men and the Battle of Cassandra Nova. New X Men was just so weird. Yeah, and it was like refreshing because it was weird. Um, and Morrison's done that. Yeah, with, like Green Lantern. But kind like of the all the way, things but... were like. Beak in that yeah. whole class, no girl, and and the fart guy or the gas guy, yeah. like all of that stuff the was fart. quirky, fun. But it was it was like us in the twentieth twenty when the twenty first century started trying yeah. to be futuristic and quirky and cool for future's sake. Yeah, and it wasn't just X Men. New X Men is guilty of that. It's everything in culture. Yeah, but um, this is actually like more of a just independently good creative story, not like shaped by the times, not like yeah. let's take the X-Men out of costumes and put them all in leather jackets yeah. and stuff, like in these new weird Like costumes. unless like, the ending just yeah. completely like just S this is bed. yeah. This is like a that this surpasses that for me. Yeah. Like, you know, just in a sheer I mean, like for the same reasons, because I just like it as a story on its own. It's a great story. And then when you factor in all the things it does for them and going forward and all the things it lays out, yeah. it's not even a It's close. a much better setup than yeah. uh, New X-Men left us with. And yeah, uh, and like, yeah, Morrison just likes to kind of shake things up for the sake of it. Yeah. Uh, Hickman, I think, is a more focused, planned shakeup. And yeah, I mean, this is my favorite kind of X-Men crossover alt-universe even though it's technically not alt-universe, you know what I mean, yeah. with the lives of Moira and all that stuff, the timelines, since Age of Apocalypse, probably. Age of Apocalypse is still my favorite. Yeah, still my favorite, by far. But it's, um, yeah, it, yeah, this is right Legion Quest and, and Legion Quest and Age of Apocalypse are my two favorite X-Men, or my, well, taking them all as one is yeah. my favorite X-Men crossover storyline of all time. Um, but this is a good second. All right. Yeah. So that'll do it. We want to thank you guys for joining us on this episode of Comic Book Nation. If you are new to the show, we post new episodes every Wednesday and Friday on comicbook.com where you can subscribe to our RSS feed to get regular updates about the show. Or you can subscribe on iTunes, uh, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Google Playlists, or tell any Amazon Alexa device to fire up Comic Book Nation podcast and it will start playing for you. If you want to continue the discussion with us about anything we talked about or just... You know, holler at us. Hit us up at the hashtag Comic Book Nation. Or you can find us individually. You can find me at Kofi Outlaw. You can find me at Matt Aguilar CB. And you can find me at Brandon Davis BD. It's good to have you back, buddy. <laughs> Much love. <laughs> 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 <laughs>